verses 25-30. I will not be speaking about married life. That is simply the human context of the revelation here. Ephesians 5, 25 through 26. And let's read sisters on verse 25 and brothers on verse 26, but all together on verse 30. As we read, let's realize that we're coming to the Lord in his word. We like to concentrate our whole being with our heart, our mind, our exercise spirit on reading the inspired, life-imparting, breath-constituted Word of God. It's not a common thing. It's a precious thing to be able to read the Word together. So, sisters, please begin with verse 25. that he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of the water in the word. In the same way, husbands ought to love their own their own bodies, He who loves his own wife loves himself. Because we are members of his body. In these verses, we have a revelation of a number of crucial matters. Perhaps the most central of them is an unveiling of the intrinsic care of Christ for the church as his body. The church life, due to its practicality, must have many outward things. We need a place to meet in. We need chairs to sit on. It's helpful to have musical instruments to keep us sort of on key and somewhat in rhythm. Uh, We need so many practical arrangements. But we do not know the church if we only know the outward scene. And we do not know the Lord sufficiently unless we know him in his present ministry to care for the church in a deep, intrinsic, spiritual, organic way so that he may attain his goal. Now, I do have a particular burden, which I'll identify in a little while, a burden focused on one of these verses. But we need some uh, background for this. In verses 25 through 27, we see three stages of Christ's ministry, and we see three stages of the church. 
In verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So this surely is Christ in his incarnation, in his earthly ministry, producing the church through his redemption. Then in verse 26, he is sanctifying the church, cleansing her by the washing of the water in the word. This is a present activity. So it presupposes Christ's resurrection, his becoming the life-giving spirit, his heavenly ministry with all of his offices and all of his functions, with the particular emphasis on sanctifying the church, cleansing her, washing her. Then in verse 27 we see the goal of the first two stages, that he might present the church to himself glorious. This is where we're heading. The Lord will come back. And we're closer this week than we were last Lord's table meeting. And when he comes back, the first thing... that he does will not be be to deal with Antichrist and his army or human government or with Israel. His first action will be to present his bride to himself. He will present her to himself. And He will not present the church to himself until she has arrived at a certain condition uh, embodied in the word glorious. Glorious. And it's from this verse that Brother Nee derived the expression in his book, the glorious church. In simple terms, God's eternal purpose is to have a glorious corporate expression of himself. The glorious church becoming the glory in the kingdom, becoming the glory of the new Jerusalem. Now let me take you on a little tour. This is a bullet train tour ride, rather, on the, on the glory train from eternity to eternity. So, uh, I hope you're ready. Th- this will be uh, <clears throat> the sketch in the background. <clears throat> God's goal, his heart's desire, is to have the city of glory. And that city is not a material city. It's not... They glorified Boston. Boston? How do you say it? Anyway. It is to have millions of glorified sons of God mingled and incorporated with himself and one with one another in himself to be his expression in the new heaven and the new earth. When John saw the new Jerusalem, the first characteristic was having the glory of God. Amen. 
Okay, that's the goal. The triune God himself is a God of glory. Acts 7-2, the God of glory appeared to Abraham. 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul prayed to the Father of glory. 1 Corinthians 2, Christ is called the Lord of glory. 1 Peter 4, the Spirit is the Spirit of glory. This is the triune God of glory. His purpose, according to Hebrews 2.10, is to bring many sons into glory. Now, if there are recovering feminists here who feel that the use of masculine language is somehow marginalizing you or disenfranchising you, let me tell you, when the Bible uses the word sons, it includes all the female believers, just as when the Bible speaks of the bride, it includes all the male believers. (laughs) So this is God's way of solving the problem. Besides, in Christ, there is no male or female. You know, one never knows. We have to take care of the Until your mind is renewed, we have to take care of this kind of anti-patriarchal thought that might have seeped in at BU or somewhere else. (laughs) If you're studying computer science, maybe this has not befallen you. God is bringing many sons into glory. That includes all the mature believers. Sons is a word that denotes maturity. For this, God created us as vessels. And Romans 9 says, we're vessels of mercy unto glory. So the God of glory, for the purpose of bringing us into glory, created us as vessels to contain him unto glory. That's what a human being is. A human being is a vessel who will be empty until she or he is filled with God, contains God, And expresses God. So creation was that we might be vessels unto glory. Do you know how the New Testament defines sin? There are two basic definitions. One is in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Greek word for the verb to sin is hamartano. It means to fall short. You're an archer shooting at a target. You just don't have the poundage in your bow. You just don't have the pull. And so the shaft falls short. God measures everyone by his glory, which is his expression. So if you've been a good church kid all your life, we thank the Lord for preserving you. But... To be good is still short of God's glory. God measures you by his expression. He measures the whole human race. Everyone is short of his glory. So what is God to do? God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And he died on the cross to shed his redemptive blood 
And we know from the book of Hebrews, which fulfills the types in the Old Testament, Christ in his ascension entered into the heavenly holy of holies, into the presence of God, and presented his blood to satisfy the requirements of God's glory. This is signified in the Old Testament by the Ark of the Covenant that had a lid on it of gold, and cherubim of glory were on the lid, observing everything that took place to ensure it matched the standard of God's glory. The blood of the sin offering was applied to the lid of the Ark. It satisfied the requirements of God's glory. When that event took place, Through the Lord's crucifixion, the veil that was as thick as a human hand, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, indicating the way into God had been opened up for us. Good news, huh? So on God's side, the requirement of his glory has been met by the redemption of Christ. But human beings need to hear of this. So in 2 Corinthians 4, would you believe it? We have the gospel of the glory of God. The gospel is the gospel of glory. It's the gospel of the shining God. Through the preaching of the gospel, God shines into human hearts causing them to have the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This gospel is the good news that we can be born of God, we can be forgiven, we can be cleansed, we can be reconciled, we can be one with God to be on the line of his original intention that we be part of his corporate glory. So when we believe the gospel and we believed in the, into the Son of God and received Him into us, the element of glory came into our being. How do we know? Just as we know everything else from the Bible that is opened up by the Spirit of Reality, Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Brother, We're going to be glorious. You and I are going to be glorious God men. Do you believe this? There's a hope in you that your whole being will be brought into glory. So this is how we begin. According to 2 Corinthians 3, we may now with an unveiled face, behold and reflect the glory of God and be transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So, the triune God of glory created us to be his sons brought into glory. For this, we were created as vessels of mercy unto glory. We fell short of his glory Christ redeemed us and fulfilled the requirements of God's glory. The apostles announced the gospel of God's glory. We receive this gospel, the element of glory, which is Christ himself, came into us. Now, if we will simply just turn our heart 
I would encourage you to pray this every day. I pray this every day. It's gone on for thousands of days now. Lord, I turn my heart to you. It's not too late. It's only 11.02. By that clock, okay, which clock shall I go by? I'll go by that one so you have more time. Okay, how about that? I'll go by that one. Just turn your heart. Just say, Lord, I turn my heart to you. Okay, you're down, you're depressed. You don't think you really mean it. So then, then, then you have a backup prayer. Lord, cause my heart to turn toward you. You turn your heart. According to 2 Corinthians 3.16, what happens to the veil? It's taken away. Now the veil is taken away. What can we do? We behold and reflect the glory of the Lord. And what happens? We're being transformed all into the same image from glory to glory. As the last step of our salvation in life, what we call organic salvation, we will be glorified. When that happens, the glory that's in you will burst forth and swallow up your body of sin and death. And you'll get a transfigured body like Christ's resurrection body. And that will happen at the same time the Lord descends in glory. And we will be brought into glory and the overcomers will reign with Christ in glory for a thousand years. Then there will be the new heaven and the new earth. All the believers will be perfected, matured, transformed, glorified sons of God God will bring us all together, the tens, maybe hundreds of millions of us from every tribe, every nation, every race, every language, will be the city of glory. God's eternal purpose will be fulfilled. This is the background of this expression, a glorious church. We need to have this as our focus. Sisters, if spirituality is your focus... You are sick. You are sick. And I will be innocent of your blood this morning, telling you, you are sick. You are deviating from God's economy. You are pursuing a thing called spirituality, whatever you think that is. I do not pursue this. I pursue glory. Because God pursues glory. He doesn't want just a spiritual church. What is a spiritual church? In the 1970s, around 77 to 78, a disease entered the recovery. In Anaheim, we suffered a twofold anguish. One was a rebel- rebellion developing among brothers, some of whom were prominent. And the brothers are like the bones and the muscle in the body, they're more obvious. But the injury they cause is less severe. The sisters are deeper. They're more subjective. They're more experiential. Generally, they love the Lord more. When they have a problem, it can be fatal. Brother Lee once said if he ever learned that there was a problem among sisters, he would fast and pray for several days. So a kind of, quote, spirituality came in that was 
like uh, we would liken to a leukemia, a spiritual leukemia in the body. You've got some sisters who deviated from the mark of God's economy to a strange kind of spirituality. That's why I mean it. I use this word deliberately. If we seek this thing called spirituality, or if we are distracted from God's economy by what we perceive to be spirituality, and as we age, this, this thing can metastasize, spiritually speaking, and reach a point where you're irrecoverable. This is not a small thing. We need to be right in line and right on the mark. God's goal is not merely to have a spiritual church, but a glorious church. Amen. And not merely a victorious church, conquering all the enemies, stomping them, grinding them to dust. Very good. But the element of God's expression may not be prominent. Okay, this is the church the Lord will present to himself. That's not my burden. This is the goal. The burden in me for this fellowship this morning is a particular aspect of the process, the present process of the Lord's preparing this glorious church. And from this point on, uh, I don't think I'm warning you. I'm certainly not threatening you. I'm just letting you know uh, it's all experiential from here on in. And how deep we go will not be determined by me. It will be determined by your degree of openness. I don't mean deep in the sense of profound thought. I mean deep in that how much access the Lord has to our being. That's what I mean. In verse 25, the Lord gave himself up for the church, producing her. Right? When he died, blood and water flowed from him. In verse 27, he will present the church to himself, a glorious church. Verse 26, supported by verse 29, explains what must go on in the open saints to bridge verse 25 and verse 27. The Lord is producing a glorious church with persons who are not glorious. And if we have some spiritual understanding and some experience combined with observation and especially with the learning from the ministry, we will see, actually, it's rather rare, rather rare for the Lord to really gain a person thoroughly and absolutely in his or her lifetime in the way that he needs to gain us, according to verse 26. We're redeemed, accomplished. We will be presented a glorious church eventually. That is certain. In between, we have this, 
that he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of the water in the word. Why must he do this? Verse 27 explains this glorious church will not have spot or wrinkle or any such things. Have you ever considered any such things? What are the such things? And I assure you, uh, in the Lord's presence, uh, he has loving feeling about this for his recovery in this part of North America. He has much exercise in his heart. He has prayed much in his ministry of intercession. And he realizes that he needs to sanctify us. But notice the grammar. It doesn't say sanctify and cleanse her and wash her. But he sanctifies, cleansing her by the washing of the water in the word. Let me say something about this washing and then go back to sanctifying and cleansing, then come back to the washing and maybe we'll end here. This is not the washing away of sins. The washing away of sins is by the blood. This washing is a metabolic washing of our being. Of the very fiber of our being to wash away everything contrary to the glorious church. Everything contrary to the nature and life of God in our being. And Paul lists two things specifically. And then he has a general category. Okay, spots. You know you've got spots? I don't mean blemishes on your skin. Uh, you have spots in your being that are inborn defects in your natural life. And these spots enlarge with age. They become more dominant. They become more prominent. This is one reason in courtship you have to let the other party See your spots. The sister's probably seen them anyway. The brother may be clueless. <laughs> because he's drunken with love. But you should be sober enough to realize you're marrying a spotted bride. <laughs> and while the Lord is washing her being in yours, you've got to ask yourself a question. Can I live with these spots? She's quite a, a dear person. But she's got spots. And I've got to be able to live with this spotted person. You know, for several decades, probably. 
And if you can't bear the spots, then don't buy the ring. Okay? <laughs> the only one who gets a bride without spots is the Lord Jesus. <laughs> and the only one who gets a husband without spots is the glorious church. We have defects in our natural life. They're not created by God. But the effect of sin and death on our natural being is to produce these blemishes, these mixtures. Then along with spots, there are wrinkles. When did the Lord's recovery come here? 1973? 34 years? Any wrinkles? The wrinkles from oldness? The Lord will not marry a bride with wrinkles. Neither will he inject her with Botox <laughs> or engage in any other kind of uh, cosmetic procedure. He will make his bride as new as he is. Amen. And then any such things Uh, I have some feeling about this. The any such things are not defined. But I believe with experience and some spiritual understanding in the body, we can identify them. And uh, it's with both joy and anguish this morning that I have to touch this. Included under any such things are wounds and the scars they leave on our being. According to vision and according to truth, we're the household of God. We all have the life of God, the nature of God. We've all been born of God. We receive all the believers. But according to fact, saints get hurt, sometimes very deeply. And the most severe wounds are the result of meeting the power of someone's disposition, which is the depths of the self. Especially if that person is a leading one, a prominent one. You may not realize it. It wounds the soul. It touches feelings in you. And one byproduct, or maybe it's better to say an indicator, is that our joy is gone. Do you realize there's a difference between experiencing Christ and enjoying Christ? Experiencing Christ is mainly in the spirit. Enjoying Christ is mainly in the soul, because the soul is the organ both of expression and of enjoyment. So when the overcomers gain their souls, when the Lord comes back, that means their soul will no longer suffer.
but we'll have the Lord's joy. To help you realize the difference, let's just say you are a, a parent that is very concerned about the health of your children, and so you feed them organic vegetables, and they don't like them. So let's say you're giving them spinach and broccoli. Even the first President Bush didn't like broccoli. He <laughs> proclaimed his emancipation as president from having to eat broccoli. Okay, but, but your children are not emancipated, so they eat broccoli, they eat spinach. They experience these vegetables, but they don't enjoy what they're experiencing. Okay? We need to all be alert to the fact it's not normal not to enjoy the Lord. It's not normal. There's one dear sister somewhere on the earth. I don't know how she can be helped. But she's miserable. She makes those around her miserable. And she thinks that her being miserable is a sign that she's experiencing the cross. Actually, her being miserable is a sign she's in the self. If she experienced the cross, the miserable self would be terminated and she would enjoy the Lord. (laughs) So allow me to insert something personal here, just to be transparent with you. I do have a sense of measure, of my measure in the body and in the ministry and in the work. And I realized most things I can't do. So I don't try. When Russia opened up, Brother Lee knew whom to send. And he knew it wasn't me, right? The Lord covers me to say, What I do is mend. That's what I do, intrinsically. That's what John did. He comes in after some decades, after Peter has fulfilled his course, John is, uh, Pete, uh, uh, and Paul has fulfilled his course. Then John comes in with the mending ministry of life, with truth, to mend the tears. So that's what's in my heart. That the Lord would mend all the, the torn parts. Amen. That he would heal all the deep wounds. Yes. That by his sanctifying with his cleansing and washing, he would touch our whole being subjectively so that whatever has happened to any one of us In our years in the Lord's recovery, it'll all be washed away. We're new, we're happy, we're enjoying the Lord, we're positive, we're full of hope. We are in one accord, in one spirit, with one soul, expecting the Lord's blessing. I feel like I'm prophesying the future of the church in Cambridge. (laughs) The suit I'm wearing... This is, a, this is just a human anecdote. It was given to me by some saints in Korea. 
you know, it's a, a navy blue suit, real conservative, you know, for a fellow my age, right? And I noticed on the trousers, the tailor had engraved something. I didn't notice it till this morning. It says Cambridge only. <laughs> I'm not saying that has spiritual significance. And I'm not sure why I'm telling you this. But anyway, we're all enjoying it, even though it may not have a point. So the, the Lord Jesus knows in detail the situation of every member of his body. I mean our present situation on the earth, in our spirit, in our heart, in our soul. He knows. And he's the physician. He's not here as the judge, as the physician. And he knows how much damage the enemy can do and has done to believers. Uh, I don't want to be too particular in the illustrations. But if you read the New Testament with realistically in the Lord's presence, in Acts chapter 5, a married couple is lying to the Holy Spirit. In chapter 6, you have some problems based upon racial preferences in the church. And right away the Spirit moved to solve them. Because such a thing cannot be part of the testimony of Jesus. So the Lord, now in His heavenly ministry, is sanctifying the church. Well, that, that means he's sanctifying you. Okay, today. The Lord is interested in sanctifying you. Okay, right now, the Lord would like very much to sanctify you by saturating you with his essence. Okay. Do, do you realize this? Okay. Please. Do you realize this? When you realize it, it governs your fellowship with him. You come to him on any given morning. And you realize what he wants to do that day. Lord, under your cleansing blood, I present myself to you today. I consecrate this day to you. I consecrate myself to you today. Saturate me. Dispense yourself into me. Mingle yourself with me. Work yourself into me. Constitute yourself into me. If this has entered your prayer, then you realize it. I looked at something again this morning where Brother Lee was talking about this, and he released this word in 1973. He said, concerning this, I have a heavy burden in my heart. And he said, if we would realize that the Lord wants to sanctify us, to saturate us with his essence, this burden would be somewhat released. 
Now he can rest from his burden. But the burden continues. Brothers and sisters, we need to realize and we need to be simplified to, to see what the Lord wants to do all the time is saturate you. Amen. To saturate you with his essence. The saturation with the holy essence of God is the prerequisite to glorification. Glory is God expressed. You can only express what you are. In order to express God, you need to be God. Not in the Godhead, but in life and nature. Otherwise, the expression is false. I've used this illustration many times. If you've heard it, you know, it won't kill you to hear it again. We used to have dogs in our house. When things got simple, we just had three dogs. You don't want to know what preceded it. But my sympathies are with Noah entirely. Because there were many other creatures. So we had two sheepdogs, bearded collies. Very friendly dogs, loud, deep barks. Long tails like a scimitar, a curved sword, swishing like this. And dog number three was a miniature poodle named Studley. I named him Studley, I don't know, probably by divine inspiration, I guess. And and Studley, technically he had a tail, but it was a little stub at the end. And these three dogs were, were territorial, as dogs are. So when someone they didn't recognize came to the door, they would all go trotting up to the door, and the two bearded collies would bark, Arf! Arf! And swish their tails. According to my view, Studley wanted to be a big dog. He joined the big dogs to defend the domicile. But what came out of him was, Arf! 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 They are swishing their tails. Studley is vibrating. Well, I, I, can, I, can, I can still see them at the door. Two swishing, two barking, one arfing and vibrating. <laughs> that Studley, okay, poodles are smarter than bearded collies. But you ain't no bearded collie. You can only express what you are. And I know many of you, you're... You know, you're brilliant and you're thoughtful. But you need this simple canine illustration to grasp a profound thought. You can't express something if you're not that thing. How are we going to be a God-expressing church if we're not God in our constitution? Sanctification is the process by which The Spirit permeates and saturates your soul, then your body, with the holy nature of God. 
But notice in verse 26, sanctifying requires cleansing. Sanctifying is addition. Cleansing is subtraction. Whenever you, if you're washing your hands, cleansing your hands, you're not trying to add something, are you? You're not trying to add an essence. Are you trying to be permeated with the soap essence? No, you're trying to remove something. There has to be the cleansing. Okay. This is where we touch experientially the deep point. The cleansing is a purging. It is a spiritual, surgical purging of our being. Especially of disposition. And it's okay to talk about disposition for a few minutes. You can, you can handle it. It won't wreck your day. You'll still enjoy the love feast, okay? Disposition is the depths of the self. It's the root of the self. The soul, we know, bridges the body and on the other end, the spirit, right? It interacts with the body and the spirit. Our body is a flesh of sin. That's a fact. And sin is the evil nature of Satan. Our body is a body of death. The deepest part of our soul is absolutely determined by our disposition by birth. It's genetic. It's chromosomal. It's absolutely by birth. I can see it in my grandchildren. It's so clear. The difference between the two boys. It's it's startling. So disposition is the depths of the self that inclines your whole being to go in a certain direction. And as you age humanly, It becomes stronger and stronger until it's fully manifested. It is the disposition that causes the most wounds. I remember one time, a Saturday night, a brother disappeared on my doorstep. You know, he wasn't going to be formal. He realized we're in an organic church life and he didn't make any appointment. And he went in fellowship right then. And it was very impressive to me because he was a physically large person, very tall and strong and imposing. And he came down, he came and we sat down and he put his hands between his knees and he wept and he wept. He had just come from a brother so-and-so who at that time was a co-worker and an elder. And Brother Lee once referred to this person. He said, have you ever suffered the sting of his disposition? 
like a scorpion sting. And this brother had been stung. I'm not attacking that person. I'm trying to understand the situation. He was deeply hurt. Actually, he's been out of the Lord's recovery for decades, largely because of this. Although he's still open to fellowship with us. In close relationships, whether it's in married life or in the church life, it's the disposition that causes the most serious problems. And the disposition is a stronghold at the base of our being. And the Lord's sanctification must reach this level. It must go to the bottom. And we Americans, if I can say generally, if you're, not, if you're from another country, in this case you're blessed not, not to be native-born American, are superficial about everything and instant about everything. And we bring this instant superficial culture into the church. And not everything in God's economy is instant. Actually, not that much is instant. Regeneration was instantaneous. Your glorification is instantaneous. Everything else is a long process. And eventually, the Lord has to have depth. He has to reach the depth of our being, of our constitution. And in cleansing, first dislodge the not God part in the depths of ourself. The not God part. That's the cleansing. And that cleansing is by washing. And that washing is by the water in the word. And that word is the living word, the spoken word, which releases the spirit water. When that spirit water seeps down into your being, it will cleanse you at a very deep level. Again, a personal testimony. Brotherly ministered in the late 1970s. Some very convicting words on disposition. And I never became more desperate in my whole life with the Lord from then until now that The Lord must get through in this. And I was not happy with the Lord. That I, you know, I said, it's not my fault. I was born with a certain kind of disposition. So I had a kind of controversy with the Lord. And one day I was doing something altogether non-spiritual. I was trying to do lap. I was doing lap swimming for exercise. And I got to the end of the pool. And the Lord gave me a word. Shall the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me thus? Has not the potter authority over the clay? I said, Okay, all right. I will stop this line of argument. But eventually, the the desperation reached the point where I called Brother Lee. I said, I need to see you. May I see you? So he said, yes, I went over to see him. And he asked me, as if he didn't know, but he asked me, what would you like to fellowship? 
And this was my request. Will you please touch my disposition? Will you, Brother Lee, please touch my disposition? He answered me in three sentences. Number one, the Lord will gain us. Number two, we work together. Number three, surely I will do it. <laughs> when I see him, I can say, Brother Lee, surely you did it. <laughs> the reason I'm emphasizing this is that once you get out of your 30s, Everything depends. Everything depends on the Lord touching the depths of your being with his sanctifying, cleansing, washing work. For every Peter, bold, daring, outspoken, there may be 50 John types. Thoughtful, introspective, contemplative, insightful. Now listen to the end, and you won't despair. If you, if you jump to a conclusion halfway through, you're going to have unnecessary despair. It's actually easy, easier for the Lord to gain the outward ones, because they're so outward. It's harder for the Lord to gain the inward ones because they're so inward. But, big but, when the Lord gains them, they're more useful. Under the Lord's covering and as a person in the process with you all, I would like to bear witness to the fact this morning that the Lord can gain us in the depths of our being. Amen. And touch the disposition, break through it, purge us, and then simultaneously saturate us. Saturate us with the word. The divine essence goes to the bottom of our being. Then this washing takes place of everything that has ever happened to us that damaged our being. I mean everything. In our whole human life, human society is just an endless series of mutual damaging and tearing down. But I'd like to bear witness to the fact that the Lord in his present ministry, by the washing of water in the word with its cleansing, is able to deal with any spot, any wrinkle, any scar, any wound, any trauma that has ever happened to a person. One day... A fourth-term trainee sister in Anaheim came to see me for fellowship on a Monday. 
She wanted to share some really good news with me and explain what the good news was. And she said, Brother Ron, I have a father. Then she told me the background. She was from Cambodia, from the Pol Pot era. And one day her father left the house to go somewhere, and he never came back. And when she realized what happened, she said, I was split in two. I was just split in two. Now we fast forward. She's 23, going on 24. Ten years or so later, about to graduate from the training. As a result of so much washing and cleansing and sanctifying, she realizes, I have a father. God is really my father. But that's not all she realized. She realized something else. It's lesser by far, but it's practical. Same sister. Also on a Monday morning, a trainee free day. I'm walking through the cafeteria where she is with some other sisters. And she calls out, I need a dad. I need a dad. So immediately I changed my schedule. I knew what she was asking for. And it's a delight to experience with a fellow member of the body the benefits of the washing of the water in the word. There are a few hundred of us in this room The Lord knows what kind of human experiences, what kind of insults, what kind of offenses, what kind of betrayals, wounds, shocks we've experienced in the course of human life. He knows how they have affected us, how they affected our relationship with him, with one another, our capacity to enjoy him. Yet he wants to have a glorious church. Yet, even if we're not sinful, if we're not worldly, we've got all of this stuff in us. He knows. So he is sanctifying, sanctifying, adding his essence, adding his essence constantly. While he's sanctifying, He's cleansing. Starting at whatever level you are and whatever you can bear, then going deeper and deeper, purging your being until only God remains as our content. The Lord realizes that we cannot bear such a purging without two other things, nourishing and cherishing. The nourishing is the feeding with the divine element to supply our being. And the cherishing is to 
Embrace us tenderly, kindly, affectionately, and warmly. He softens us. He soothes us. He heals us. Okay, we need this. Real God-men need cherishing. Real God-men need nourishing. For some of us, this may be strange. Some of us have never known cherishing in our whole life. We can't relate to it. We just can't relate to it. Okay, the Lord knows you can't relate to it. And so he will not invade you with warmth all of a sudden so you suffocate. But gradually, in his care for you, he'll feed you. Huh? Isn't that good? Isn't the word taste and see? Isn't he good? Then while you're enjoying, he creates over you a pleasant atmosphere. It's not that noticeable at first. You just realize the atmosphere is so clean. It's so genuine. There really is love here. There's no hypocrisy. There's no bias. There's no discrimination. There's no preference. What is this? This is the atmosphere of the cherishing of the resurrected Christ in the church. And as a result, we're softened because some of us had to be hardened to survive. The culture that we were in, softies don't survive. And so this is the being we come into the church with, fully armed. Okay. The Lord knows, feeds you, cherishes you, sanctifies you, cleanses you. Ooh, okay. Feeds you, cleanses you. Ooh. Eventually you realize, I'm not afraid of the cleansing anymore. I would like my entire being to be gained by the Lord during my lifetime on the earth. I would like in love and in trust and in faith to present my entire being to the Lord and say, Lord, I see a little bit what you want. You want a God-expressing church, a glorious church. And I'm part of that, chosen in eternity past, so I really can't do anything about the choice. My only option is the timing of the matter. needing this whole process. If in every church, the Lord would have some vessels fully open to him, you'll have a way to go on. They don't have to be the elders. 
the elders should be among them, but that's not always the case. Sometimes the elders are the last to be among them, but I don't believe that's the case here. If you just, in your personal life with the Lord, you open to him to say, Lord, I know what you want, a God-expressing church. I see the way. It's by your sanctifying with cleansing. There's no way you can have the glorious church without sanctifying, accompanied by cleansing and the washing. This will happen. Every believer will be sanctified, cleansed, washed, renewed, transformed, conformed, and glorified. The only option is whether it will happen now. Now, many of you, and this is the Lord's grace to you, are young. If you would give yourself to the Lord for this process in your youth, and the Lord takes 10 to 15 years to penetrate you, then how useful you could be maybe for half a century. What, what, what kind of vessel you would be Wherever you go, God flows out of you. The river flows out of you. People are healed. People are renewed. People are recovered. Saints are built up together. So consider, after you get your, your B something, your M something, or your PH something, <laughs> consider taking time out. Two years, take time out. If the Lord would lead you, come to Anaheim for the training. If he doesn't lead you, You're not lesser. That means he's got another way with you because you're a particular vessel. So we're not here conforming to a standard, right? One size fits all. I just would like, in my small way, to enter into Brother Lee's heavy burden. We can't just have the church life merely outwardly. Don't think the God-ordained way is something merely outward. If we only change the size of the meetings, the way of the meeting, everything will be revived and vital. The God-ordained way issues from this kind of living, organic contact with the Lord in our being. What I'm trying to tell you is the Lord wants a glorious church. He will have a glorious church produced out of persons just like us because that's all there is. They're only sinners on the earth, and they're only people like us in the church. This is the best there is, right? And the way is for the Lord to sanctify you, you, and to cleanse you, and to wash you, to nourish you, and to cherish you. Ryan, if he gets through in you, which I believe he will. The Lord covers you. He may get through in thousands. This is the Lord's way to gain persons. And by gaining persons, to have a way to flow through them to move on. I want to be there in that hour sweet when bride and bridegroom meet. And the Lord presents to himself 
this glorious church. I want to be there as part of her. But there's something else I want just as much. I want you to be there. Through this same process. For the Lord to work himself into your being. Sanctification. Simultaneously for the Lord to cleanse you. At levels you're not conscious of. Don't try to analyze. Let the spirit penetrate your being. I see a dear married couple now going to London tomorrow. One of the great blessings of a marriage in God is you help one another really open to the Lord. You help one another give the Lord access to your being. Just open to Him. Then, little by little, the Spirit will sanctify. The water in the Word will go wherever it needs to go. In your mind, the memories, in the emotion, the feelings, the buried feelings, the will, wherever it is, the water will go there. When the water gets there, the enemy flees, God comes. And the glory within enlarges and increases. And this way, the Lord will have a glorious church. So, I'm going to stop now. I don't know what kind of ending of a message this is to say, I'm going to stop now. But I feel that whatever is in me for this time has been released. I wonder if we could take two or three minutes to have several of us pray on our behalf. Right? And then maybe we'd have 15, 17 minutes for some, some response and some sharing. But I do think we should pray a little bit. But instead of praying two by two, let's have a few sisters and brothers just offer some prayers, representing all of us to the Lord, uh, reacting, responding to his word.